I'm here with uh, John Toddy, and today we're going to talk about uh, the importance of Irenaeus and uh, his role, especially not just for historical purposes, but even in developing a, a theology today that uh, there is the sense, and I think John will bring this out, that uh, what we get in a post-Irenaeus understanding is a turn to scholasticism. And so that rather than read the tradition uh, as a kind of unified whole, I think what uh, John wants to point out is then uh, the sense in which there is Irenaeus and then the tradition uh, stands over and against what he's done. Can you, can you address that a bit, John? Yeah, I'm thinking about what you just said. A way of approaching this issue may be the fact that the Western Church, meaning the Roman Catholic Church, along with all Protestant denominations, have in some way accepted or adopted scholasticism as a way of doing theology, whereas the Eastern tradition has not. And, of course, Irenaeus is accepted by both of those traditions. But what might be different? I don't think we want to go along with the Eastern tradition completely and say that the ecumenical councils are the only authority on what does Scripture mean. But we also do not want to, as at times has been done in the Western tradition through scholastic methods, accept Greek philosophy as uh, an always valid starting place for theology. And as much as Irenaeus is combating certain heresies during his lifetime, he is assuming that the church is something that he has been received into, is something that is pre-existent, established by Christ, established further by the apostles, or at least taken to the ends of the earth by the apostles. And then what the heretics, rather, the Gnostics, the Marcionites, are doing during his lifetime is trying to establish their own type of Christian community, which he takes to be invalid since it is another type of community and one he will say that is not the gospel at all, very reminiscent of what Paul says in Galatians, that a false gospel really isn't a gospel because it ceases to be good news. It's something other than what has been founded by Christ and established by the apostles. Uh, And so he is then going to explain what it means to be a part of the apostolic tradition, which is to be a part of the people who are formed by the gospel. And so uh, your point being that uh, with Irenaeus, that there is this sense that they're doing, he's doing theology uh, in a way that is more integrated into the purposes of the church and of apostolic teaching uh, and that, in fact, there is a departure from that in scholasticism. Yes. I would say that for Irenaeus, an authentic Christian experience isn't something that has to be sought after, looked for, uh, whether that be through mysticism or through academic theology, but rather it is something that is given to a Christian. Whereas, it would appear that a part of the program of scholasticism or even pre-scholasticism with Augustine is to search out uh, what does it take or how does one be a true or real Christian 
in societies where that can't be identified based upon the fact that you have this type of Constantinian Christianity or Christendom, that Christianity is everywhere and yet it may not be authentically everywhere, and so it's something that one has to search for. And so the the whole program of Irenaeus with against the uh, heretics uh, is then a kind of preservation of a deposit of faith that has been given. Yes, exactly. He is delineating what have the apostles taught, how have we received it, and what does that mean for Christians. And so with with Irenaeus, there is then uh, a kind of uh, appreciation then for a, a the apostolic preaching and that its origins then are uh, rooted in the Old Testament. T- talk to that a little bit. Yes, so in both of the works that survive of Irenaeus, which are the demonstration of apostolic preaching and then against heresies, he will use the word scripture throughout, but of course in his lifetime, scripture only referred to the books of what we now consider to be the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. Whereas the four Gospels in their written form, the New Testament epistles, uh, the book of Revelation, and of course Acts, constitute the teaching of the apostles, meaning those books are either written by an apostle or were written under apostolic guidance, and that these books are the written form, which is the very same as the oral tradition of apostolic tradition and teaching. So run down for me how that, why is that important theologically for us today? If we can say what is legitimate Christian teaching and then say this is teaching about scripture and the only way we have access to this legitimate teaching is somehow in and through the person of Jesus Christ, then we have a clear way of understanding what does it mean to think as a Christian. So thinking as a Christian doesn't then involve some type of exploration um, in which we will come to have or that we can somehow induce an experience with God, but rather we already have at our disposal the faith given once and for all through which we meet the person of Jesus through whom we meet God. So that uh, in a Gnostic understanding there is the problem that will arise that seems almost... Now, stop me if I'm drawing in, uh, unfortunate parallels here. Uh, that will arise with an apost- uh, with a uh, scholastic understanding in that both then are positing faith or authenticity uh, as a pursuit that is not given but in fact is lacking. Yes, and I know that uh, some, maybe many, would disagree, but it does seem like with scholasticism, whether it be through the tradition that comes with Augustine and Anselm, sort of psychological tradition going into the mind, or with the other forms of scholasticism that maybe you get with Thomas Aquinas, there is in common the pursuit of a beatific vision, a search to see God. And that's not there in Irenaeus. 
No, actually, Irenaeus in... um, Really, this idea is both in the demonstration of apostolic preaching as well as in against heresies, but definitely there in the demonstration of apostolic preaching and his discussion on the Trinity that Jesus is, as the Word of God, the visible manifestation of the invisible triune God. If you want to see God, you see God by seeing Christ. And as I understand it, the rise of Neoplatonism is in fact going uh, to in some way uh, take away from that understanding. You have reading of Plato, which leads into Christian Gnosticism, right? Or so a, that, a heresy known as Gnosticism. Yeah, yeah. So that a reading of all Greek philosophy. I don't think we have to let Stoics is all these things descending from Plato. Right. It's academy. Yeah. Right, right. So that, so that, but isn't Irenaeus consciously rejecting? A Platonic reading. Yes. So what is present, interestingly enough, in perhaps all heresies, uh, but especially the ones that Irenaeus is dealing with, where a dualism enters in is between an idealized God and then the material world, which sounds very much to me like uh, a dualism existing in Plato between the realm of forms and material things. For Irenaeus, of course, this is wholly unacceptable because the teaching of the apostles as well as the way he reads scripture through the teaching of the apostles and what is manifest in the gospels themselves. He's just coming at this from what he understands to be um, revelation about God is always and consistently claiming that Jesus is the incarnate word of God who makes God known to us and in his discussion on the atonement, has us enter into the life of God, which has us enter back into fellowship with God. So that uh, the later uh, taking up of a Platonic understanding uh, is then going to devolve into an alternative understanding of atonement. Are those two things interconnected? Yes, It is interesting, um, in Irenaeus' view of the atonement, which he writes about in Against Heresies, what you don't have. You don't have mentioned the wrath of God or hell as categories that we need to be saved from. Rather, what is there is that we have been deceived, which actually goes back to his explanation of creation. And he never uses the word fall, though that's the word that Christians will use subsequently. He talks about human beings being created as immature beings that they were for the purpose of entering into a relationship with God through the word of God from the very beginning that we would mature into this relationship that entails perfection or incorruptibility, fellowship. All of the things that you get through the ministry of Christ saying this was always the plan of creation. That sounds rather biblical, the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. He will characterize sin, where does sin come from, where does um, human evil come from, as deception. We were deceived, but we played into that deception. So much to the point that in his mature theology and against heresies, he describes our deception as our willingness to be disciples of the apostate one. We are disciples of Satan. 
So he's going to use what is known as ransom theory. He uses that word, uh, at least a Greek word, cognate to ransom. But he doesn't necessarily mean that Satan really owns us or that Satan really has power over us and that God in some way has to pay off the devil to gain us out of that. Rather, that we have chosen to be disciples of Satan and that God has decided to rescue us back. God wants to enact the plan that was from the beginning, that we have fellowship with him. And so the purpose of the word of God then becoming incarnate in Jesus Christ is one, revelatory, because it has to interact with this deception. But two, it defeats death. It defeats what alienates us from God. And that as we enter into this relationship, it's interesting what he says we gain. Uh, To quote him, we gain the life of God and we gain the flesh of Christ for our own flesh. Meaning, if we're going to take that as a comment on the Apostle Paul, if living according to the flesh is one way of being in the world, that living according to the flesh of Christ is an alternative way of living. And that's what we receive through the atonement, which culminates in having incorruption. Of course, a reference to the resurrection, but one that begins now in this life, leading into eternal fellowship, again, beginning now and continuing for eternity, uh, fellowship with God. And this understanding of the atonement and this departure, uh, or what will become a major departure in the Western Church in terms of scholasticism taking up Greek philosophical thought, then are what characterize the Eastern Church. And Yes, meaning that uh, the Eastern Church holds still today to a type of ransom theory very much like what Irenaeus is saying. And so the, the two ideas that uh, you, if you hold to a, a form of Platonism or Neoplatonism, the idea, I guess, is that you can, in fact, uh, that the deception is not definitive of the human predicament, and therefore uh, scholasticism makes perfect sense that there would be a parallel uh, means mm-hmm. to understanding who God is. And that salvation exists in the mind of God and that we are in some way saved out of being too material or our humanity is our problem. Whereas for Irenaeus, Jesus is the first real human. Jesus is what it means to be human. Now, uh, given this split between you know the Eastern and Western church, is that a, is that a fair way to characterize it? That... that uh... I think it probably is, though it doesn't make total sense in my mind, mainly because both traditions uh, accept Irenaeus yeah. <laughs> in some way or other. So that, that uh, you can't just, uh, you know, it would be such a neat package if we could, uh, could uh, say that uh, Irenaeus gets it right and some go with him and some yes, don't. Yeah. But your point is that, well, no, in the Western tradition they do read Irenaeus, but, uh, but they're in some way making him fit into a uniform tradition that seems to be shaving off the mm-hmm. distinctiveness of what he's doing. Yes, yeah, so maybe in the Western church what you get is the idea in accordance with Irenaeus, that it is the church who reads Scripture, and of course through the teaching of the apostles, 
but who on whose authority do we take what it means to have a gospel? On whose authority do we take it that we are reading the apostolic tradition correctly? And so whether in the Roman Catholic tradition where it's the church as an institution telling you how to read the apostolic tradition or in Protestant movements where it is some form of a critical reading of scripture that gets to inform us what it means to be the apostolic tradition, um, that's probably where the variations come in. Now, in the Eastern Church, I don't know that they really have an answer to this problem, though they're going to limit the what is an authoritative reading of the apostolic tradition to the early ecumenical church councils. So that, uh, at least in terms of atonement theory, uh, the, the Eastern Church is, can we... Uh, say it, it is going to hold to a, uh, a more of a Christus Victor kind of understanding. Yes, and most certainly. I know that there are some Eastern Orthodox scholars now, at least in the English-speaking world, using Christus Victor as a label. Many of them will use ransom theory as a label, and that means what Irenaeus meant, uh, maybe not some more perverted forms of ransom theory that exist in the West and have been discarded. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit. Uh, it seems to me that Gnosticism in some way is a prototypical problem that we might dismiss Irenaeus's, uh, you know, uh writings against the Gnostics, but isn't, Gnost- isn't that sort of always the problem and that we can benefit then from what he's done with that? Yes, I think so, and it's interesting that Irenaeus writing against the Gnostics in the 2nd century is saying much of the same things that Paul or John are writing when they're addressing whatever we might call those heresies existing in places like Colossae or um, even in Galatia, though it doesn't seem to be a clearly defined Gnostic heresy, there is the possibility of the church splitting based upon an understanding of how to read scripture. So though uh, the dualism doesn't seem implicit in the nature of Christ, like you get Gnosticism, the core issue is how do we read scripture, what is primary, and what is Christ's relationship to that primary thing. And it seems like in all of these cases in the early church, people are writing against church splits. So Irenaeus comes along and he sees even in Rome um, that there's this really big problem of people turning either to uh, some form of Gnosticism or the Marcionite heresy, which both, of course, are going to either discredit the Old Testament scriptures, either by saying that the God of the Old Testament is evil and the God and that is the God who creates, so thus also implicating all creation into the evil plan of this God, and then of course the God who is the Father of Christ in the New Testament. Also, interestingly enough, what is common to these heresies going back into the New Testament times, especially in books like Colossians, um, and then the people that Irenaeus is dealing with. Paul in Colossians seems to make a big deal about who Christ is. 
that he is creator, he is redeemer, he is the one who has rescued us, and he is king of the universe. So he cares about creation. You get the same thing in Irenaeus, writing against the Gnostics. If the problems are that among these heresies, creation itself is discredited as being evil, scripture, meaning the Old Testament, is somehow dismissed as being a part of that evil God's plan, the demiurge, as Marcion would say, um, and that the New Testament is getting it right, but only if you read it as saying, in some way we need to escape creation. That seems rather common to what's going on in New Testament times and also in Irenaeus' time and what happens later on uh, different times in the church. So this issue continuously comes up, and it's an issue of the divinity of Christ. Because if Jesus is not just a divine being, but God incarnate, it means that God cares and uses his creation as a means to salvation. If not, it means here is a really good guy, maybe even a divine character, uh, as some of the heretics claimed an angel that was made the son of God or something along those lines. The creation itself is still other uh, or is so much other than God's purposes, he doesn't really use it, and we all need to be rescued from creation. And as you're describing this, you know, that it seems that in as much as Platonism, and maybe it's not the fault of Platonism, maybe it's just the fault of, of our tendency toward Gnosticism, but in as much as we've remained or have those tendencies, that then is it the case that Irenaeus is a kind of curative uh, or a, a you know a warning of uh, away from what will in fact happen later uh, in terms of the arguments about the person and work of Christ, and in some way. Uh, keeping his humanity and deity separate. Yes. Irenaeus' work in general revolves around who Christ is. Because, as I said earlier, for Irenaeus, Jesus is the Word of God incarnate who makes the invisible God visible to us. So here is our access point into living the life that God has for us. And if that is the case, then, Irenaeus is a very simple but profound message And he gets to this against heresies when he talks about one of the major themes found in that uh, work, the recapitulation in Christ. Irenaeus says, and I quote, But when he was incarnate and became a human being, he recapitulated in himself the long history of the human race, obtaining salvation for us, so that we might regain in Jesus Christ what we had lost in Adam, that is, being in the image and likeness of God, end quote. That we can say for Irenaeus, Jesus is the word of God incarnate through whom all things were made, who is also always present with the human race. Meaning that as we read scripture, it only coheres into something that can be taken as maybe salvation history or God's plan, uh, God's covenantal plan, working in time, in space for the purpose of salvation inasmuch as we understand that story through who Jesus is. And so, quite literally for Irenaeus, Jesus has recapitulated that whole story of 
human suffering, but also uh, human longing or needing to be dependent upon God and yet failing to do so in the person of Christ who does this perfectly. That Jesus is human. Jesus is God. He is humanity completely dependent upon God for life. And so then in even the point of Christ's shame or where you might expect to see the defeat of God, the death on the cross is actually where humanity is completely dependent upon God for life and life is received back to humanity so that through the resurrection we have this hope of fellowship and a life with God. And and, uh, in his picture of deception, is there a specificity to the deception that you have in Irenaeus and how is that exposed and related in the cross? Yes, the deception is directly related to sin taking place in Eden. Now, Irenaeus doesn't really read Genesis chapter 3 as literal, but he sees a much deeper meaning there. Why do we have a sin problem? Because we are deceived. Meaning that our deception is that as human beings we have deceived ourselves from realizing that we rely upon God for our existence, for our life, for our purpose. And so that deception leads us to believe that we can establish our own selves. Thus, through the cross of Christ being a nonviolent answer to human sin, which is very violent, he even talks in this manner and against heresies that God respects what he has created in humanity as our capacity for freedom or our capacity for free will, uh, the capacity that we have to relate to God based upon our receiving his love for us, meaning we can remain deceived if we should like to, uh, that all human knowledge doesn't equal a gift of God, but because of our deception we have um, espoused theories, we have established schools of thought in in which we are trying to establish ourselves and our own existence apart from who God is. Thus the cross addresses all of this as truth, as making manifest and visible not just who God is, but also who God is for us, meaning how do we relate to God in creation. And Jesus thus fulfills the purpose of creation and restores humanity to the role of participants and God's purpose for creation. The, uh, the last statement there, the, uh, is the tendency then to be non-participants? Yes, I believe so. And since we were talking about scholasticism earlier, one could say that with scholasticism, you have a turn towards wanting to establish a relationship with God based upon knowing God completely in the mind. Uh, Augustine's or Augustine's example of the Trinity is a psychological example, such that his metaphor for what does it mean for God to be Trinitarian is found completely in the mind of a human being. In the same way with Anselm, Anselm has this prayer, the proslogium, his relation to God, and the whole prayer is premised upon his ability to think God in his mind. There's not a lot of direct participation with 
creation or humanity as created beings and a plan that God has for the purpose and the role of creation in either of those views. Likewise, even with Thomas Aquinas, take his five ways, for example, though the five ways deal more directly with creation beyond the human psyche, there's not a real departure from what's happening in Anselm and Augustine, though Aquinas, of course, is trying to strike out against Anselm in particular. Because the five ways, or rather the first four arguments that come out of Aristotle, are all based upon a human perception of what reality is. And Aquinas himself even has to deal with the fact that in taking up this Aristotelian logic, Aristotle, of course, believed that the universe was eternal itself, and Aquinas as a Christian does not believe this. And so it's really just an engagement with logic, not an engagement with what is. And I think, and what I mean by that is that because Aquinas can use Aristotle's arguments, even though Aristotle's arguments really do function and are based upon the fact of matter being eternal, Aquinas can say, no, matter does not have to be eternal. I still want to use these arguments for the existence of God. Really what is going on there is a logical argument that's taking place in the mind. It doesn't have uh, any effect really on what it means to follow that God or that the God that is uh, proven, in scare quotes, by the five ways is the Trinitarian God whom we meet in and through the economy of salvation, God coming to us, a ministry of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, all of these things that deal very directly with creation, what it means to be created in the image of God. So you're describing a theology that is of necessity embodied. Yes. And is that then uh, the, the, what you're describing, and maybe make this, that uh, Irenaeus is a teacher for the church? Yes, I think so. At one point in Against Heresies, he says this very directly, that Jesus came to redeem all aspects of human life. So realizing that who we are is who we are over the course of our lifespan relating to God, Irenaeus says that Jesus was an infant, an adolescent, and a mature person because he has redeemed every stage of human life. He doesn't, I don't think this is an argument for infant baptism as some have taken it, but rather what his main point is there, and there's agreement upon this, is that Jesus is incarnate because what is being saved is created life. And what you're getting then in a scholastic understanding is a teaching that is not so much geared for the church, but is geared for a kind of thought that in fact is shaped by the academy. Is that a fair characterization? Yes, I think one might say scholasticism is an endeavor on like... It's an academic endeavor, but really it's not even the academic endeavor of an individual because what's primary in a scholasticism is what could be characterized as simply the life of the mind or even maybe more accurately, scholasticism is concerned with the soul and the soul having an encounter with God. Whereas Irenaeus is very much more concerned with human beings in the community of the faithful already having encountered God. 
And uh, is John Bear then a modern theologian who is true to Irenaeus? Yes, I think uh, John Bear, of course, being Eastern Orthodox, is concerned with Irenaeus and his works, concerned with this being a picture of what it means to be a Christian. And so he says several key things about Irenaeus, uh, commenting on Irenaeus' first work, which is a demonstration of apostolic preaching, John Bear says Irenaeus gives a clear, coherent, and concise exposition of the apostolic preaching without, however, making extensive use of their writings. Rather, Irenaeus demonstrates that their preaching is according to the scriptures by deriving the whole content of the apostolic preaching from scripture, the medium through which the apostles had understood and proclaimed Christ. Meaning that Bear understands Irenaeus to really be taking account of Scripture, the Old Testament narrative, as a narrative of humanity's interactions with God. Of course, specifically, this covenantal community's interactions with God. But that that's not the whole story, and the story really only has meaning in as much as Jesus recapitulates the entire story and fulfills that covenant and gives us the church, the true community of the faithful, the kingdom of God, the kingdom to which we are saved. So Paul's statement in Colossians chapter 1 being that we are saved from the kingdoms of darkness into the beloved kingdom of God's Son. We are saved into a community. And so to have salvation means already to have received a community and to have been received into a community. This is John Bear's picture for what it means to be the church that takes the Bible seriously. So how do we take the Bible seriously? We do so by realizing that we're entering into a community much bigger than ourselves or than our immediate churches that we may visit on Sunday, that we've been incorporated into this tradition that has always been God's plan that is fully set forth and is the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ and then is continuously revealed to us through the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the apostles. Is this what he's working out in, uh, is it, what's the book? The, uh, the Way to Nicaea. Yeah. yeah. And the Way to Nicaea, John Bearer looks at several early theologians. But I think the coherent thought of the book is that John Bear is giving a theology of Scripture meaning he is explaining theologically why do we care about Scripture. And, of course, this is the big question of that time period because most of the heresies are willing to completely dismiss Old Testament Scriptures. But if we really care, we're saying that what we believe God is doing and the kind of God we believe in is a God who um, interacts with a community, and that's how he interacts with the people that believe or are faithful to him. So from the very beginning, Abraham is accredited as righteousness, or Abraham's life is said to be right with God because he is faithful. He was willing to follow God. But his faithfulness is not one that can be enacted as an individual. It entails his relationship to his immediate son, Isaac, and God 
constantly confirms this covenant with Abraham by alluding to the fact that this covenant isn't for individuals, it is for the community that is Israel. And of course, Jesus fulfills that story to say that the church is the community that is Israel. Um, Being Eastern Orthodox, though, is perhaps, uh, in other words, you're describing John Bear, but this may be unique to Bear. It's certainly not true of David Bentley Hart. (laughs) David Bentley Hart has to defend his own scholastic views to other Eastern Orthodox theologians. And I, I, he does so in such a way that he says, you know, the spirit of Eastern Orthodox theology has always included uh, original thought, and so what he is doing should be included. But that's certainly not the norm in Eastern Orthodox thought. Mm-hmm. Um, then, given uh, the state of Amer- American evangelicalism, uh, and from what you've just said of Irenaeus. Give us, give us in conclusion a kind of critique then of uh, here's, here's what has been set forth and here's where we've gone wrong. Yeah, I think in modern Christianity in the United States, we all too often go to church expecting to in some way facilitate or create an experience with God and that that experience with God is what makes us Christians. Whereas in reality, if we are to be Christians, we have been received into a community and it is only based upon that community that an experience with God is predicated. So we do experience God. We do have direct access and relationship with the triune God through Jesus. But Jesus lived a life that is past to us and yet incorporates our future. Uh, I think a lot of Jürgen Moltmann at this point, that uh, our life exists in hope that we will have the resurrection and our hope has been established in the cross of Christ. So we do sort of live in this in-between, but it's not an in-between two separate events. Rather, we live in this one huge event of God saving the cosmos. And Irenaeus is simply saying directly that the way we enter that is through the gospel, meaning that this is the good news because God has been revealed to us and God has been revealed to us, as the Apostle John says, um, by the Son, Jesus, the Word of God, who has exegeted or explained the Father, the Father that no one has seen at any time. Having taken what you said, I mean, one could say, well, the landscape looks pretty bleak um, in terms of whether you're talking about a theological education I don't know anybody uh, that uh, is then bearing down and looking and understanding um, uh, theology from uh, uh, this sort of perspective outside of the Eastern Orthodox Mm -hmm. Church. Um, So that American evangelicalism, in a sense, is defined, even though it's not uh, sophisticated enough very often to understand what is defined it, by the scholastic, uh, you know, uh, mode in which it's been given birth, or in which it failed, it failed to escape in the Protestant Reformation. Uh, so we could paint, you know, a, a kind of bleak landscape. But at, on the other hand, what you're describing is that, well, in fact, uh, Christ is available to us. It's just that we're looking in the wrong place. Is that a fair characterization? 
Yeah, I think so. The beauty of what Irenaeus is saying is that if we can get past wanting to identify as a certain type of Christian that involves oneself in a certain type of Christianity and just realize that there really is, uh, there really are common factors to just being Christian. And if we can be Christian with each other, that we have a community that we can work with. And it really is not our position to try to establish this community or say what it is. It's our position to figure out how we live in this community. Thank you, John.